Welcome to Change the Narrative. I'm your host, J.D. Fuller. I'm Susie Younger. An African-American licensed psychotherapist. I'm also a licensed therapist. We talk about the isms. We talk about the phobias. Anything that marginalizes and oppresses. As a white woman, I ask the questions white people are too afraid to ask. Everything we are not and everything we are is because of fear. Through a mental health lens, Susie and I will have difficult conversations with celebrity guests, political activists, and everyone in between. Our mind will tell us whatever we want to believe, but the truth lives in the body, and that's where change occurs. Are you ready to change the narrative? Forbes called him a renaissance man, and Vice named him the charismatic trans activist and tireless entrepreneur. JD and I are so excited to have you, Buck Angel, as our guest today. Welcome, human rights activist, speaker, innovator, and our hero, Buck Angel. Wow. <laughs> I feel loved. I feel so loved. Thank Good. you. No, I'm so happy to be here, really. I, I love JD and um, I love you. And you know, conversation, <laughs> conversation, people, conversation. Let's yep, we're about to we're about to get right we're about into to it. Have right, fun. On, right on. All right. So Buck, we would be remiss if we didn't ask you to retrace some of your history and start from the point where you realize that you had body dysmorphia. Yeah, thank you. So, mm-hmm. so basically, I um, I was I'm 58 years old. I was born June 5th, 1962, in Los Angeles, California, in the Valley, and I was a Valley girl. I was actually a Valley girl, and so I never felt like a Valley girl. I did not. It's you know, it's going to be that transsexual story. I never felt like a girl. I always mm-hmm. felt like a boy, whatever that means. But I played with the boys. I was with the boy. We called it tomboy. You know, it was 1960s <laughs> into the 70s. I was that little tomboy. And we didn't talk about uh, trans stuff back in the day. We didn't talk about, we talked about gay a little bit, but not really, and not really gay women. So it was more about gay men. Or it was about transsexual men to women. It was never okay. about female to male. That being said, I struggled a lot with my gender. And then I just didn't function well in, in school. I didn't function well in, at life. I was suicidal, two suicide attempts psychological uh, evaluations put in psychiatric wards because they didn't know what was wrong with me they kept you know saying you're a woman and I kept saying my man I it just it basically shut me down I stopped so saying, so yeah. wait a minute Buck I want to go back a little bit so five yeah. year five years five years old you're walking mm-hmm. around you're just being you but you knew that's something right. was wrong that's right okay that's right. so now we're into uh, latency age we're like seven eight you're still mm-hmm. knowing something's wrong but that's you're in right. school but you're barely functioning is that that's fair right. to say that's fair. And now we reach the nightmare of prepubescent, you know, 10, 11, and things must have really gone haywire for you because Whoa. that's the point at which our identity really becomes clear to us. So yeah. that was when you started to sort of aggressively feel like something was wrong. Is that fair to yeah. say? Yeah, that is fair. But I want to let you know that I was very late bloomer as a female in my, in my puberty and my okay. menstruation. So that didn't okay. happen until I was like 15 or 16, right? So okay. the other girls were getting their periods at 13 and 14, and I wasn't. And already I started feeling sort of not yeah, a different. part of, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So now we're 16 and you're looking at the other girls, like you said, and what point did you decide your mental health was challenged enough where you said, I'd rather not do this? What age was that for you? Uh, I would say 16 because that's when sexuality also came into play for me and I was attracted to women. And so, but as a woman and being a woman, I was considered a gay woman, right? So then I had to deal with that on top of the fact that I kept saying, no, I'm a dude. And they're like, 
dude, you're totally messed up. <laughs> and I'm just like, no. Yeah. So that's when really this actual suicide came to my mind. And that's when so, I, yeah. So what were your parents saying when, you know, you're saying this is wrong, something's wrong with me. And now you've, you're suicidal. What, what mm-hmm. was, what was your relationship like with them? What were they saying to you? Yeah, so I have to let you know that my parents are incredible and amazing, but they didn't have the skills in the 60s and 70s. So my parents raised me like a boy, right on. My parents Mm -hmm. raised me like Buck. They called me Buck. I was this, that little boy, right? And so they never had an issue with it, I'll be honest with you, until puberty, until I'm supposed to be that girl. Okay. And then their friends were like, you know, that's your daughter and not your son. And so my parents were completely freaked out and they reversed all of the loving stuff they were just treating me like the little guy and then i had so so then that became the uh, the the pushback from my parents and that okay so then that. after you attempted suicide yes. and thank god for all of us that it didn't happen thank you what what was what came up for them like how did they start to engage with you yeah. around this now because now they know look yeah. there's something serious here yeah, totally. Oh, God, that's funny. We just had that. Well, not funny, but we just had the conversation the other day on Thanksgiving. My parents are just incredible. So I talked, you know, we talked about that. It was very hard for my parents to talk about. My mom started crying. And so, she, you know, she said, you just took those pills and, and your father said, let him die. My father said that. Let, wow. let, her, let her die. And my mom said, what? And my mom's the one who rushed me to that. My dad admits it to this day. He said, you know, I, I did not understand you. You were not part of my life. It was your mother who loved you. And your mother who saved your life, and your mother wow. is the one is the reason why I accept you today. So wow. my dad could not handle it again, right? Male, it's that yeah. male thing. So he couldn't handle his daughter wanting to be his son, and it right. just he couldn't handle it. And so yeah, that was my first attempt of suicide. I got put into a psychiatric ward. For and a so month after that. wait a minute. So what? Where were your? You have siblings? Yes, I have an older sister and a younger sister. And so on top of that, you have this whole wow. middle, middle child thing going on. <laughs> right on. So you know? <laughs> your experience is being missed everywhere. Yeah. So now they think, they think you're just acting out because the older sister has their role, the younger sibling has their role, and you're just trying to get attention and they can't figure out why until this happens. That's and right. so now you've been institutionalized. Did anything happen there that was helpful to your process? So remember, we're talking, uh, and you're in the you're in the business. Yes, we're talking in the seventies. They know they, you know, and I was a bit anorexic, bulimic at that time. So I was also playing with my body with that way of not eating, and I was a runner, and I was, you know, obsessive that way because you could control your body, right, right. on some level. Right. That was my control thing. But nobody, people didn't how, know how to talk to me about. They wouldn't even talk about the male. female female none of that it was always gay and the other part of that is you know that anorexic piece is the feeling of disappearing like if you're not there then you will won't be missed you know what i mean it's that kind of kind of thing of of it makes sense that you weren't in the body that you wanted to be so it was like you know i'm not really articulating it well Susie, can you add to that I was just going to say, as someone who's struggled with anorexia and almost died from it, it's also that all that energy that you had, all that wanting to be seen and really wanting to show up, not knowing how to and internalizing it all. So making yourself small, there wasn't enough room for you. 
I, I never thought of it that way, but wow, yeah. makes a lot of sense because I didn't want people to see me. I remember right. I wouldn't go to meetings. I would hide under my covers for almost the whole day. I was a very shy, sh- sh- you know, I was a yeah. very shy child. I was, yeah. I did not interact with people. The, how you see me today? My parents are like, who are you? <laughs> <laughs> Nobody would ever know. Never. All right, so let's, let's go back to the timeline. So now you are out of the hospital and what happens at that point? Well, at that point, I have to start seeing a psychotherapist, I think they yeah, call, that's call it. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I went to a psychotherapist. This is the bet. This, I just learned this too. This is so crazy. Um, so I went to the psychotherapist that they recommended from the hospital, right? And, mm-hmm. um, and so I remember going the first couple times and just being there telling him, I feel like a man. And he would just be like, you're not a man. You're a oh, woman. Okay. You're very depressed. And he put me on antidepressants, which then I became like this. Like I look, uh, I, my mom was like, uh-uh, we're not uh, giving you that because I was like completely dead to the world. So then he decided that he wanted to give me an IQ test for some, my, I said to my mom, but why? Why do they want to give me? They said, because they thought you were just really stupid. For, and they gave me an IQ test and they told my parents. Now, I know we're not supposed to use the word retarded, but I'm yeah. in the context yeah, of the yeah. story. Within they, context. They told, right. They told my parents that I am borderline retarded. And my parents were like, what? <laughs> my parents just told me this the other day. I never even knew this. Oh my and I'm God. like, whoa, that's so crazy because clearly I'm not. But yeah. that being said, like I didn't do good in school or anything. And I just, you know, but anyways, going backwards, that's what happened in that's that particular place. And then so my dad and mom got mad and they stopped me seeing that person. So what was the trigger for the second suicidal attempt? Because this is really important right. for people to hear. That's why I'm, I'm dissecting it so much. And okay. thanks for, for walking through it with us. No, so what was the, the catalyst for the, the second attempt? Yes. So the second attempt was once I got out of high school and I was trying to just, uh, so my grade, I didn't get out of high school. I didn't graduate high school. So I had to go to summer school and then sort of go to a community college in order to get my grades to go to a university, blah, blah, blah. So in that time, I was struggling with my trans and my sexuality at the same time. So I just remember my parents kicked me out of the house. There was no place for me to go. I was struggling with, Am I gay? Am I a woman? Am I a man? Nobody to talk to. I yeah. just drank and drank and drank and drank and drank until again, I just said, I can't handle this anymore. And I took another thing of pills. And that was that for me. And I think that was the time that my friend walked in on me and caught me with that situation. You know, I'm having a couple of thoughts. Bear with me. Yeah. One is that um, your story is incredible. And I know we've watched, you know, documentaries and yeah. all the history on you and, and your story is absolutely incredible. You've been such a huge advocate of the mental health piece and you and I have talked about this before and I want to get into that. But first I want to say, I'm sure it didn't help that you were absolutely beautiful as a woman. <laughs> I mean, well, thank you. <laughs> that, that must have been so difficult. Uh, you know what yeah, I mean? I mean, yeah. you're quite a stud now. Don't get me wrong, but I'm just saying, <laughs> you know, no, as yeah. you know what I mean? That that had to complicate things. It killed me, actually. <laughs> Almost killed me. When people would say, oh, you're such a beautiful woman. Or when I modeled, right? When I went, actually yeah. went into modeling. Oh, my God, I hate That's why I was doing so much cocaine and drinking and just, you know, like you said, pushing myself away from being connected to. Mm-hmm. I hated being called pretty. I love being called handsome, right? Of course. Yeah. But I don't, I cannot handle the pretty thing. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It really was horrible for me. It was like a stab. 
And so at what point did you get the support you needed to get you on the road to a healthier you uh, with, with the body that, that was who you were meant to be? Yeah. So, so basically turmoil, 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 went to Europe to work as a model, made it even worse, more drugs and alcohol till eventually they just sent me back to the States. I became homeless, prostitution, drug addiction, crack smoking, all of it. Man. Here I stand, my friend. <laughs> I testimony to you're not taking me out. Exactly. <laughs> if there was ever a statement about it's not your time, you should be the poster child. That is so true. Yeah. <laughs> I swear to God, sitting here talking to you, to you two, I'm just thinking to myself, how is it? How? <laughs> That's right. So there I am. I get sober. I attribute everything to my sobriety. I, I was saved. I'm not kidding you. The universe, it sounds so insane, but I no, went on my last, my last trick. So I was prostituting for money for crack. And I went home with this guy and he almost killed me. And I, and I just said to God, I did. I said, God, if I live through this, I promise I will be a better person. And I got out, somehow I got out of it. And somebody, um, I called somebody and they picked me up and they took me to rehab. And I went to Claire, I think it's called Claire, and it's down in Santa Monica or something. It's a it's a rehab for just basically people, every kind of person, and that's why I stayed sober because it was every black, white, green, blue doesn't matter, poor, rich, yeah. whatever. We all were put in the melting pot and stripped of our egos, stripped of everything, and yeah. put in the space. And that's why I'm sober today. We wow. saw humanity together, and that's yeah. really it's it literally sobriety saved my life. Sobriety. Well, that's why you have such a worldview. Yeah, I think you know? so. I think so. Totally. Yeah. Because in, even in my beginning of my sobriety, I mixed it up. And that's why I believe in coexistence, mixing up, putting things together, learning from each other. I learned from people things that I never would have done as a white person. Right. And that, so, so that is also a thing we learn from each right. other. Yes. Right. Absolutely. I so yeah. I want to go back a little bit to what I started talking about, which was the mental health piece. And you and I have yeah. talked about how, you know, the absence of mental health, uh, being mandatory in people's transition. Talk yes. about your, your feelings related to that because you and I are on, a, on the same page when it comes to that. Well, you know, again, I'm coming from a really general, this is going to be generational. And today I get pushback from the younger yes, generation I know. of trans people. It's sad. It makes me sad because I have a lot of kids who do call me trampa. And, you know, I am that elder in the community and I love working with the kids, all that. But there's a, just a, another generational thing. Yeah. There. So I come from a space of system system change, right? I went right. through a system. I went through a you have to go to a therapist, you have to get a note, you have to go. And remember, I didn't. I was the very first person to go to the both of my doctors. Nobody had ever transitioned prior to me using these doctors, wow. and so they were they called me their experiments. And so I had to get a note to go to my endocrinologist, and yeah. I had to get a note to go to get my breasts removed. That being said, I've never looked back. And I can, and I, I went, first thing I did was go to therapy. That's the yeah. number one first thing I did. And we took that out. Do you know that they took it out of the like, I know for transitioning. I'm like, okay. Yeah. I mean, that's all we need to talk about. Whether are the other stuff? There is no mental health care attached to transitioning anymore. I'm disgusted. I'm totally, I'm upset. I'm and so upset. tell me, I mean, I know Susie knows we're therapists. We get it, but yep. tell the audience why that is such a crucial piece that's missing from the process? Oh, number one, because you might not 100% be making the right choice. And if you don't talk 
to a person who has the ability to find out what's going on with you, you might be making the wrong choice. And I swear to God, who's ever listening to this right now, just go to YouTube and put in detransitioners and you will understand why I yell at the top of my lungs every day that we are killing people because we are not making them go to therapy and we are not understanding that everything starts here. Everything. I don't care what you're doing. I don't care if it, I don't care if you're gay, if you're trans, if yeah. you're dealing with family crap, if you're dealing with body issues, everything starts here. Mm-hmm. And we can't expect young 16-year-old g- people to know exactly what's going on. And shame of anyway, I'm going to go off on the No, right no, I, I want you're right. <laughs> I actually want you to, Buck. I want you to because I I'm I'm not you know, I, I, obviously I am who I am. So it, people don't take it well from me. So I, I love yeah. that, that you have a soapbox about this. So say a couple <laughs> of more sentences about right it. Right on. I love you. Thank you. Because listen, if it wasn't for my, my therapist saved my life. My therapist saved my life. I say it every time. She had no skills. I was her first trans patient. She, she was brand new to the whole <laughs> therapy scene. I was like one of her first, can you imagine? I was one of her first clients. Right. And I sat in that office for four weeks, never saying a word to her with my hat down like this, trembling, scared to death to say the same thing I said to everybody else. I feel like a man. And everybody else would say, you're just a woman. And I would be like, I'm a man. So I shut down. So finally, her name is Casey. And Casey said to me, Buck, I know something you need to say, whatever you need to say to me. I'll sit here in silence every week with you. But I'm telling you, I'm encouraging you, say what you need to say to me. And finally, after four weeks of sitting there, it's going to make me cry. I said to her, I said, I feel like a man. And Casey said to me, she said to me, I know. And I couldn't oh. believe it. I was like, what? Wait a minute. Oh, Somebody wow. actually said it to me. And that's why I'm, that's why I know. When she said to me, I know, now what do we do to make sure that you can move yes. forward in your life? That was it for me. That's all I ever needed to hear because I had never heard it before. And that saved my life. And I have never looked back. That's yes. what people need to hear from me. I'm a person who has never looked back. Why? haven't I looked back? Because my life is where I need it to be because yeah. I medically transitioned with a therapist. Yes. It's like uh. these tears, these are tears of frustration, of yeah. happiness, of sadness, of the fact that our community is so up its own ass. I don't know what's happening right now, but something bad is happening. And I will not stand around and let somebody be killed, even if it's just one child will be fucked up from this situation of not implementing mental health care, period. Well, Buck, I mean, you brought me to cheers and I have chills. I mean, it's powerful. You know, I just have so much respect for you, man. Like I really, (laughs) really just have so much respect for who you are and that you stand strong in your advocacy. Um, Even if you stand alone, you still stand strong. And I, I respect that. To right the utmost. I don't stand alone because you and you, Susie and you, and, and I have a lot of people who respect what I say because it's from my heart. Yeah. I am not a gatekeeper. I am not somebody who's like, you got to do this. I'm showing I have lived experience. 26 yes. years of lived experience that my life is in. <laughs> I want you to have exact. I mean, yeah. I can't believe how much I have. It's insane yes. how much I have and not monetary, none of that, but I just have so much happiness in my life because I became authentically me. That's all I want anybody to ever hear. Yes. Once you let people live in peace, whatever that is, even if you disagree with it, if you let people live in peace, you watch the world just, I mean, uplift. It's insane. Yeah. You know, 
I just want to add one more piece here because we haven't layered it enough. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> what about the intersectionality of race in the trans community? Oh. We see what's happening. Yes. We see what's happening. And Susie knows I've been on my soapbox about, you know, the, the gay community not being activists in the black community and uh, trying to separate the two is the way I see it. And so we look at the intersectionality. We see the majority of trans people who are killed are women of color. And talk to talk about that intersectionality, the impact of that. Well, intersectionality is necessary. And the thing here's what I always say. My favorite word is coexist because we're not all we're me and you are not the same. We come from completely different communities. But for some reason, me and you connect. Mm -hmm. And that means it's because we care about this. We don't necessarily care about this. So intersectionality to me is also coexisting and also learning and also creating and also helping and also abundance and all of these things that I don't see in the trans community. I see uh, what do you call it? Clicks factions this is over and that's with color too yeah so you know the black trans people are over here and the white or the and even the latin are over here and even the asian are over here we're not coexisting on on that level and that is because we come from different experiences right my white trans experience is not going to be the same as as a black trans experience it's a whole other level I mean, right. I, I know because I work a lot with black trans organizations because I just feel like white trans organizations have everything they need. <laughs> I'm, I'm, it's real. They do. They're a bunch of entitled spoiled brats. I'm, and it's real. No, yeah. it upsets me because yeah, I don't no, I, see I them. You. Yeah, I don't see them backing up. You know, I just You're not going to have to convince JD of that. Because <laughs> JD he and knows. I know what's up. I'm he not knows. I do that hears you, my friend. Yeah. And you know, I, know you I just do. got off the phone with a trans guy in Uganda. I'm working with the trans guys in Uganda. Because screw these little entitled brats here in America. They don't want to do shit. You know, there's people in other countries who are stuff. Black people who, I don't need to tell you about Uganda. But anyway, that being said, we need to get together. And also white people need to stand up. Come on, man. And talk about it. You know what? On that note, note, we're going to go to another question because that's what I want to end on right there. That part. White people right need on. to stand up. You said mm-hmm. it. I didn't. Because <laughs> I can, my because friend. You can. <laughs> that's, that's why we're here, right? That's what we're trying to do here. Go ahead, Susie. You had a question. I, Buck, Buck kind of answered my last one with that, so I'm going to let you take over. Well, first of all, I'm so profoundly, personally struck by your story, and this is my first time meeting you. Um, so I have so many questions, but I'm going to keep to the I'm going to keep to the script <laughs> um, because uh, our well, we can Jay, have him back on again. He'll be right. back on I again. Have to have that's you right. back on again. That's but right. Buck, you've been at the forefront of the community for so long, and you you talk about coexisting. I'll use the word community, mm-hmm. purpose, and meaning. How do you think you personally or why are you successful at this? What is it about Buck? Yeah, that's an awesome question, actually. And let me think about that for one moment. I think, really, I learned compassion. And I also learned about abundance. And I learned not to be greedy. And I know that um, it's a real thing. Once you learn not to be fearful that you're not going to have, because that's what happens. People get fearful that there's not enough or you're not going to get it. And so then they don't share it. But what I learned, and I think I learned a lot of this also from living out of the country for many years, Uh is that I really learned this idea that once we learn that we're all pretty much on some level wanting to be in that same space, we learn to share that space and we learn to also 
communicate and educate. So because I've always been very open about educating, you can ask me any question in the world, nothing offends me. So I think because of that, you people out there, not trans people, but the people out in the world come to me. Yeah. And because they come to me because I'm open, my arms are open to you. You do not offend me. I want, if you ask me, well, Buck, you don't have a penis. Like that doesn't make you a man. I can just have the conversation without being yes. offended. So mm -hmm. I think that's really a huge part of how I became this person. Because I think I'm willing so. to share and I'm willing 100 to 100%. Yeah. And I could Yeah, still, I think that's true. Thank I you. could pull on that thread about what you just said about genitalia and we'll save Ooh. it for another. <laughs> right on. <laughs> but, but I will say this as someone who was in the entertainment business for over 25, maybe 30 years. Wow. Um, and know it well, you've become an icon and a celebrity yourself. Mm. Wow. So, really? I don't want to be a celebrity, <laughs> please. I don't. <laughs> Anyone who has the number of followers that you have, you're a bona fide celebrity. Okay, that's scary. Okay. okay, so if you can't take it and I can look at the numbers and say, oh, wait a minute. So, so let me ask you, what has that brought you, the celebrity? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, that's a good question too. Um, some good stuff, some good, great, you know, exposure so that my voice can get out there because you also know I'm a very, very big into the sexual wellness world as well. Yes, yes, I talk absolutely. a lot about that, which is very important to me. So I get really to get my voice into places that ne necessarily people wouldn't listen to me. So I think my celebrity status also gets me into trouble with the trans community because <laughs> on some level, you're supposed to be a representation. <laughs> Once you, they, they tell me that it's, <laughs> that I, that I, that I have that I have, um, that I'm supposed to be representing the community because I have so many followers. And I'm like, I don't represent anybody. I represent <laughs> myself. But that's the only bad thing I think so far that I've had to deal with as my celebrity stuff is like this expectation of me having to represent when I don't even represent any of that nonsense that's going on. I represent my own thoughts. JD, before yeah. I go into the last question, with what he just said, we had on um, an African-American producer manager, Brian Dobbins, a couple weeks ago. Mm -hmm. And as far as messaging, he said something that JD says so beautifully about staying on point and not having to represent the world. Can you say it, JD? Because I can't say it correctly. Well, basically, the, the message he gave us was, do the one thing you do and do it so well that it will speak to many. And Buck, you do that. I mean, Susie, I'm going to throw it back to you to do the fill in the blank. But I do want to say you do that well. You are you. sexual health. You are proud. You are in the cannabis world, mm -hmm. you know, but it's all about wellness. And that's your message. Absolutely. And so that's the thing that you've, you know, honed in on that serves you well. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for noticing that. Really, absolutely. People don't want to talk about sex. It's so weird. It's like everybody has sex. Well, most people do. And like, it's normal. <laughs> I, I think I'd be one to say, not, not now. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> most people masturbate. Just kidding. It's true. It's true. Okay, okay, this is one of our favorite parts of the show. We like to play games. So we're going to ask you to fill in the blank. Okay, okay. Buck Angel, fill okay. in the blank. I am Buck Angel, and that means blank. Love. Oh, I love that. Racism in the gay community is? Huge. <laughs> Social justice needs? An overhaul. <laughs> I love you. 
I have hope that the world will learn to love everyone. What's next for Buck Angel? Wow, that's a really good question. <laughs> You're loving well, me, aren't you? Yeah, I am. Yeah. You, can, you get good questions. You know, I don't, what's next is what I'm doing now, which is continue to speak out, speak out against things that I think are wrong within a community, speak out against things that people are too scared to speak out. I've been really blessed by the universe that I get to speak out and not be fearful of people canceling me or yeah. my life being over. I mean, gosh, we're doing that to people, do you know, within our yeah. own community. <gasps> we're canceling out people and they're losing their jobs. We have a very marginalized community that can't even get jobs and you're making people, anyway, bleh, I'm, yeah. Yeah, so no, I. Good point. Good point. <laughs> yeah. It's horrible. How dare it's like a it's like uh black people attacking black people, making them lose their jobs now. Could you imagine, JD? No. Like, no, not cool, not cool. You have to uplift your community. You don't need right. to drag it down because you're jealous. So I'm just gonna I'm continually speak out. That's what I'm doing for the next two 2021. Yeah, you are. I, I'm helping to make change all the way around. So I use my whiteness to try to make some fucking people listen to what's going I on. I love that. JD, take it home. <laughs> that's, that's why you're my dude. You know, that's why you're my dude. Right on. Um, Buck, we have one more question for you. And I'm going to switch it up, actually. And I'm going to say, if you could do one thing to change the world, what would you do? Only one. Oh, teach everybody. Uh, one thing, I'm going to teach everybody how to have beautiful, loving, sexual relationships. It's awesome. Seriously, so I think sex can change the world. I think if people understood sex is positive, sex is beautiful, your connection with people sexually is so important, I think people would have less, like, I think it makes people messed up because they're not exploring that part. It's a natural thing. And there again, it's right there. <laughs> that's yeah. right. That's right. <laughs> Yay for right the there. brain. <laughs> it's not the genitalia. It's right That's there. right. It's all in the brain. That's <laughs> yeah. right. Hey, Bug, thank you so much. Again, I can't thank you enough for coming on, just being you, doing what you do in the community, being loud and proud, being the trampa we all wish we had. <laughs> and uh, we're going to definitely have you back and keep the connection going. I love you, man. Yeah, Thanks for I coming on. I love you. I love you guys. Thank you so much. Thank you. you. Right on. Have all a beautiful right. day. Stay safe.